I mean, after all, this is good money. We should be talking about money. That's right. And welcome to Good Money, where we are going to talk about temperance, which is kind of ironic because St. Thomas explicitly says that it has nothing to do with money. Right, because what it has everything to do with is the moderation of bodily pleasures. Where you're feeling pleasures, when you're feeling pleasures, how you're feeling pleasures. It moderates them all according to right reason. I mean, and this is sort of part of the logic of all the virtues mm-hmm. is that it's bringing all of our lives into right reason. Mm-hmm. Okay, And this is especially clear in temperance <laughs> because when you see somebody being intemperate, it's very obvious that they are not acting with right reason. Yep. Yeah, they forgo it. They become, as um, Ibn al-Tayyib said, it's a great gospel commentator, that that's when people believe that they are animals and oh, sure. not men. And this kind of goes to that crazy verse from St. Paul that you, oh. that you mentioned. I just like to mention this verse because no one knows it's in the Bible. But St. Paul somewhere says, not all flesh is the same, but there is one flesh for men, one flesh for beasts, one flesh for fish. And our flesh is particularly prone to the temptation of, of, of bodily pleasure. Of bodily pleasure. And of becoming kind of more like animal flesh. Right, of, of denying um, what we're capable of and settling for. Getting scratches behind the ear. <laughs> the warm bath. Man, they are great. The though. pleasurable bedfellow. I mean, y'all know what we're talking about. We're yep. talking about intemperance here. Yep, yep. But why doesn't it have anything to do with money? Well, because money is not, the whole point of money is that it's construction. Yeah, Yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. money is a convention. It's not... We can't eat it. (laughs) We can't drink it. It doesn't pertain to the body immediately. Yeah, you can't really rub it on you either. Like if you just think about the scratching thing, Mm. that's what I was going for. Well, like you can, so it can be the, the, the means to a bodily pleasure, but not as money, but rather as a physical object. That's just gold at that point. Yeah. 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 Mm -hmm. No, but the, the idea that the convention for St. Thomas is something that corresponds to the spirit. It money is in a real sense, spiritual. That's what also makes it so dangerous. One of the Mm. things that makes it so dangerous, but temperance is more inclined to, or is a part of virtue that makes sure that your body is ite. And so it is, St. Thomas says, an absolute prerequisite to liberality, or what other people call generosity. They're, they're one and the same. Why? What do they call it? The same thing? No. Because one's a Latin cognate and other's Germanic. Why is temperance a prerequisite for liberality? Temperance, because... Money itself is the representation of wealth, the sign of wealth, but it's not wealth itself. So we like to say it's a placeholder for real wealth and not wealth itself. And so to be able to temper your desires of real wealth, of, of real goods, of mm-hmm. good things, uh, then you'll be able to spend money well mm-hmm. on the right goods. Yeah, I mean, this seems... I think we should be upfront that this is a very simple proposition. Yeah, it is simple, but I honestly think that people don't think about right, it. Right, but let's let's say it's simple. It's simply. simple. Here's it's here's simple. the here's the simple version, guys. If you spend money on bad things, you will not have money to spend on good things. Good money. 
Join us next time. <laughs> just, <laughs> just kidding. No, but that really is a principle. I mean, temperance by being moderate. And this is the problem with like stoicism, right? Where moderation, like the, having self-mastery, having yourself in hand, right? Being able to say no to the various temptations of the flesh, right? That this, in the worst of stoicism anyways, becomes something that's simply for its own sake, right? Mm. So it's for the power that an individual gains over yeah. himself and ultimately over others. Right? Yeah. So one thing that St. Thomas makes sure to specify is that, and, and even like the longer tradition, I would say, that temperance is still relational. Exactly. So we might think that temperance just has something to do with resisting the next you know, slice of pizza or something like that. But the idea, in the, and I actually nabbed this from you, I stole it from you, I'm stealing it right now actively. Do it. The Stoics is a person who would walk into the brothel and say, I ain't tempted by any of you, that he's free because he, he owns his virtue of moderation. But that's not actually connected to the great Christian virtue of charity. All virtues are fulfilled and ultimately connected to love. Mm -hmm. And the Christian, the temperate Christian, is not going to be in there without temptation. He's going to be in there, in there, freeing the women. Right. So, 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 just to clarify a little bit, in case you're walking towards the brothel, um, <laughs> the Christian, the idea is that they will listen to this podcast. Well, <laughs> <in the way. laughs> well, the idea is just that you aren't simply celebrating your self-mastery. It's for the sake of those who are enslaved yes, to sin. Right. You're yep. always doing it for others. Why are you temperate? Well, I'm temperate, or I try to be temperate for the sake of my family, yep. right? For the sake of the poor. If I am intemperate, if I can't help but spend my money and my time and my labor on accruing bodily pleasures, every moment of choice to act for myself is a choice to negate my power to act for others in some way. Yep. The Christian is the one who can look at stoicism and say, yes, I want that self-mastery. Mm -hmm. Yes, I want to be like Marcus Aurelius out there, just like standing tall. But the point is that it's for the weak. It's yeah. for the poor. You do it for others. A Christian is the man for others. That's what it means. So it's that difference is important because I think sometimes people can get, and myself included, can get self-congratulatory about any act of temperance as if it's like, as if there's like a competition to see who can resist mm -hmm. temptation and, and you won. Mm -hmm. <laughs> and it's like, no, no, it's it's the... the Blue ribbon. Yeah. <laughs> Blue ribbon to mark. Yeah. No, the the point of it is is to free you for others. Mm -hmm. And I just think that's, that's crucial. And that shows, I think, the relation of temperance, the indirect relation of temperance to, to the use of money. Absolutely, yeah. It's a prerequisite for what's next. Mm -hmm. And in this case, what's next is using money very well, mm -hmm. you know, ensuring that you understand what what the best thing to hold a place for well, Jacob, is. Jacob, don't you think everyone knows that if they want to do good things with their money, they can't just spend it on the pleasures of the flesh? Yeah, I mean, yes, I think so. I don't think people are thoughtful enough about it. Okay. And, and this is... I'm going to struggle to say it, but I so I'm just going to kind of describe it. When Where I grew up, people, you know, actually use that line quite a bit. Is that why are people poor? Why are poor people poor? Uh, they just don't know how they manage their money right. Or they just spend things on, you know, on their movies and their games and all their consumables. Cheddar cheese like filled that. hot dogs. Oh, man. But 
that's worthwhile. <laughs> <laughs> um, but they wouldn't actually turn to themselves in it as well. So yeah, I'm ragging on rich people again, um, of of and and trying to get over it myself. This is therapy. This is <laughs> welcome to the session. But I think there's something real about um, people who are making a, a good salary and living paycheck to paycheck, not because they're spending their money well, but because and feel free in doing so, but rather because they keep eating out or going on very expensive vacations. Um, and as a result, they feel anxious. Mm. And so there is a real way of the nations. They've been led into the way of, of the nations, which is fear, as Christ says, tells yeah, us in Luke. Yeah. So I, but this is an, a type of intemperance that kind of sneaks up on us. And, and I think there's two forms that I see in the, in the wealthy, most of all. Um, one is that they spend the, their, their money on themselves to extraordinary degrees that that um or on things that they think are good and prudent but end up leaving them without that much money so this is really a question so this is really a question that leads us to asking why are the rich not as liberal Mm. as they should be because you know thomas says temperance is what leads to liberality and the liberal man saint thomas also specifies spends more on others than on himself. Wow. So this is this is why I'm kind of backing into the to the corner. So the first the first way that you see this in, in the rich, and and look, I'm I'm here with you in therapy, Rich, um, is that there is this um, natural proclivity that I'm gonna go on vacation once or twice a year. I'm gonna spend a few thousand dollars doing it. Right away that's a that's a solid chunk of change that you could be building a great work with. And you have to ask, why am I going on this vacation? Is it because I like margaritas in the sun so very much? Maybe it's it's not something more directly against intemperance, but against envy where you're just trying to keep up with the Joneses. But there has to be this kind of consideration, reconsideration, self-evaluation that everybody has to go through of saying, where where is my money going and what better things could I be spending it on that helps me get to heaven. There's a second form of intemperance that that arises, um, and that in Saint, well, C.S. Lewis, not not Saint Louis, I guess for the Anglicans, but that's not real. So they he he says in the Screw Tape Letters, he talks about the woman that is intemperate because she, though she doesn't gorge herself with food, she likes her toast buttered just so. Mm, yeah, in this, I remember that. In this precise way. Gives all the waiters a big problem. Yeah, yeah. exactly. And and that uh, precision, almost, that absolute need to have mm. it this way is also a form of intemperance. Yeah, the bodily pleasure is totally ruling you. Yeah, yeah, yeah absolutely. So you, the connection is still there. But you might even say, well, she's not eating all that much or it's, you know, that, not that unreasonable of a request, but because, but the precision starts to ruin the lives of the other people around you. Mm-hmm. So that gets back to the idea of the virtues ultimately being for mm-hmm. the right relations, um, being in community with others. 
And, and I see this in terms of the strictness in which everybody in my community growing up saved. And, uh, and every, every paycheck came in, you save 10% or you invest 10%. Uh, you then put another 10% away for retirement. There was these rules mm. that you take away such big swaths of your paycheck that you're actually left with very little. Another one of those things is sending my kids to private school. Now, I'm not ragging on, I'm trying not to rag on private schools. I'll do so a little bit inevitably. But is that really the best thing? Could you do a better job at home? Is a public school really a better, you know, such a worse alternative? Probably is. But um, these are some serious considerations. I mean, I have a friend out in, in D.C. making you know, three quarters of a million dollars every year, but he sends all his kids to private school and he ends up being, you know, a little less than middle class afterwards. Mm -hmm. And that might be the very right decision, but we have to, part of uh, testing ourselves, self-evaluating ourselves in terms of whether or not we're temperate is asking how committed are we to just being just so, you know, are we sending our kids there because that's, you know, the right thing to do, the good thing to do, are there real reasons behind it other than it's proper mm. or that's what somebody of my class would do or that's what's expected of me, of, of my neighbors. Mm -hmm. And I think it, it, this sort of questioning, you know, eating out at huge meals, you know, of really understanding that every dollar that we spend on, on us is not a dollar that we're going to be using uh, liberally or for alms. And all of a sudden, uh, if you start to make some of these huge changes, you're going to have a ton of money to help build great works. You can actually use this to be magnificent. Mm -hmm. So that's, these are kind of the forms of intemperance that I see in the communities, rich communities I grew up with. Yeah. It, what I see is the weaponization of our bodily pleasures for the production of profit. And I see this in a lot of different ways. I mean, one thing that's always struck me as eminently unfair about our culture is that the wealthy produce culture, right? Oh, yeah. But the poor consume it. That's right. This is kind of what we were talking about in that last podcast of about marketing and stuff. Yeah. The So a good example of this is like country music right? <laughs> or, or, or some hip hop, um, although that's becoming way more interesting and diversified than country music, unfortunately. Um, the actual production, without a doubt, comes from capital, comes from great wealth. Yeah. Right. It's dissemination, it's getting on the radio. But the life it preaches, right, is very much for the poor. Mm -hmm. Right. So the the glorification of the poverty itself becomes the essence of country music. You also see this in like just TV shows, Netflix shows. Mm -hmm. I mean, there are some shows about like the lives of the wealthy, right? But they're usually critical. Yeah. <laughs> um, so most shows are about average people and average people mon monetarily wise watch them. And so they get an education in what life's supposed to be like. And increasingly what the wealthy produce, uh, I say increasingly, this has been happening for a while, is intemperance so they show mm. images of intemperance so they they show people who are driven by sex by um the lust for riches that really becomes a lust for 
bodily pleasures. Mm. They um, sell a kind of lifestyle, right? The difference is that within the wealthy, you have the money that you need to take care of the results of an intemperate lifestyle, right? You can provide for it, and then you can deal with it when it causes problems, mm. right? So a man who wants to live without chastity um, and sleeps around, maybe has a kid out of wedlock, maybe ends up in divorce, if he's wealthy, right? Not saying that these things aren't really difficult and hard and involve a lot of suffering, but the wealth that he has enables him to take care of it in different ways. It's like, okay, I have to get another house, for instance, because I'm getting divorced now because of my intemperance. Or because of my intemperance, I now have to take care of child support for this child. Good thing I have wealth, I will do it, right? So you can see how intemperance is not justified, but is is sort of moderated in its evil effects mm -hmm. by wealth, right? Mm -hmm. But when you take that message, you take intemperance, right? And then you preach it in the forms of media to the poor who then imitate, right, exactly what they see. They don't have the money to cover the effects of intemperance. So when the poor person is intemperate, in imitation of the wealthy production of intemperance through media, um, it's not pretty, right? Divorce within for people who don't have the money to buy another house is not pretty. It's violent. It's horrible. Um, children out of wedlock um, for you know people that can't pay child support or can't expect to get it. It's it's disastrous. It destroys mm. families, mm. right? It destroys the peace of communities, yep. right? So my my the trouble so the trouble with intemperance is that it can be managed with money, right? But its effects for people who don't have money are disastrous. And so you actually get <laughs> this kind of... Um, I mean, it's it's like a direct attack on the poor. Yeah, it's weaponized. That. Yeah, I mean, in the marketing, the culture so, uh, through through film, media, songs is is weaponizing intemperance. And I don't against... think the wealthy think of this when they some of the things you mentioned. So when they go out for a big meal, yeah, right. When they, you know, get a yacht because apparently that's what you do. Um, whatever it is, right. It's usually a second vacation. They or a third one or fourth sure one. vacations exactly. They usually houses. I mean, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> they usually deny that the eyes of the poor are on them. Yeah, and, and sometimes this is an act of denial. Like we're going to live in a rich, gated community, so the poor people can't see us and, and mm, see what we do. Mm. But poverty, especially in America, is marked by envy for the rich. Right, it, the eyes of the poor are on the rich. Yeah. Right, not usually the other way around. Surprisingly, well, that's not true, but. The eyes of the poor are, are on the rich. And so when you act, right, when you act intemperately, you are essentially creating an example of highest culture, like what should be imitated. Mm. So what do people want? Well, they want to be intemperate too. Yeah. They want the big eating out all the time. Yeah. They want to own a boat. One piece of grace <laughs> that God has had for the poor, though, in this is that where, as you mentioned, money can mitigate the results of intemperance mm -hmm. for the wealthy. But that was actually a built-in, God-given design to say, hey, you should stop doing this. And they don't have that, that sure. you know, divine fore forewarning. So hopefully with the poor, they, they get that. It's not really um, a silver lining. I'm not trying to suggest that at no. all. Um, but 
I think it makes the the richest plight even more dangerous mm-hmm. than than we might think. I just see, yeah. and some of this is coming from a place of just heartbreak for me, is that I see in our town so many of so many of the poor here are desperately attempting to live rich lives and are suffering so much mm-hmm. from it. Mm-hmm. And I used to think like this was a problem of desiring the rich life itself. And there's something to that, right? There's yeah. a real envy mm-hmm. there. But I think actually it's just going to happen that those with grandeur and power and glory in, in whatever way they manage to get it are going to be the objects of imitation. So the question is really, are you a good object of imitation? Like if you take your lifestyle, if you take what you do, right, and you don't say, is this good for me? You say, is this a good example for the poor? Hmm. Is this a good example for the weak? Hmm. Is this a good example for my children? Hmm. Can someone without my money look at me, be inspired, do what I do, and benefit? Because we are signs to each other. We are guideposts. Like We look at each other for direction, whether we would or not. This is what a human being is. It's a being that is born without language and just listens for a while and then starts using it himself. (laughs) That doesn't change, right? So I think the problem is in not checking their intemperance, the wealthy don't actually deny that they are a sign of living, of good living for the poor. They just become bad signs. Yeah. They, they signify badly. Yeah. And I, th- I mean, maybe I'm growing cynical, but in the actual results, I just see the poor getting suckered for it and looking at these bad signs and trying to do it and ending up in massive debt for uh, getting cars that they don't need, yeah. getting in massive debt for getting suckered into Rent-A-Center, yeah. which Rent-A-Center needs to be burned to the ground <laughs> because what it is is it's a way of the poor participating in the life of the rich through rent. Hmm. And, and this is what rent is. What's the difference between rent and ownership? Well, rent in the end costs a lot more. <laughs> you have to give a lot more, right? And you're never free properly with the property. Yeah. Yeah. Well, why then do people rent? Well, because they have to, to some extent, but it actually allows them that experience of ownership right? They get to live as if they own the thing mm-hmm. in some limited capacity. Well, that's exactly what is happening with within the poor is that we are developing ways for them to live as if they really have the intemperate lifestyle of the rich. So you can go to rent a center and you can say, all right, put a little bit of money down because I don't have much, right? But I'm going to get the big flat screen TV, this incredible couch, and I'm going to just pay the man every month, lots of interest, mm-hmm. all right? And now I'm paying more than a wealthy person would pay for those things. Yeah. Right. Yep. Because because the sign that I've been given of wealth is precisely the intemperate slouching desires of the rich. I mean, it, it infuriates me. It really does. And it's not just rent a center. It's like everything from like uh, uh, phones to clothes to to you know the way we speak and the movies we watch and the I mean like we are an imitative people. Hmm. We are mimetic people. We need better objects of, of imitation. That's all I'm saying. Yeah, wow. Getting all stressed out online. You here. you are. Yeah, I actually turn a little bit red. Uh, uh. <laughs> it's so frustrating because especially when it, become, it comes down to drugs. Because like not only are the, is the actual production of opioids like a product of great wealth, right? Like mm. massive pharmaceutical mm. capital goes into that. But the idea that drug use can be 
something smooth, like can be integrated with in life, can be like a great pleasure enjoyed is the biggest lie I think that I've ever seen sold to the poor. Hmm. Um, because you see it on movies. Like you, you just, it's like, I mean, when it's true amongst the, the very upper class, I mean, they, they, it's like, they don't eat. They're not really interested in food or, or enjoying it. It is, you know, it is a lot of, of crystal meth. <laughs> really? Yeah. That's terrifying. It is. Yeah. But it's a similar, I mean, I imagine it's a similar situation in that like there is a way in which money can manage for a time, like the most obvious effects of drug use, mm-hmm. right? When you don't have it, right? It's just like this instant slide into poverty, into a loss of friendship, into a loss of care and support that I see so many people suffer. Mm-hmm. And we never are willing to draw the connection between the intemperance that happens here to the intemperance that happens there. Yeah. Acknowledging that this is both in in both cases, there's both people are to blame, the rich and the poor, right? Yep. They are being intemperate, you know, in the same way that you or I would be intemperate mm-hmm. if we give into this desire for a bodily pleasure at the expense of the good of others, mm-hmm. right? Every time. But we deny, I think, the the link between them, right? That yeah. the one is trying to be the other and is just hitting rock bottom for for the for the attempt. Yep. Yeah. So what do you give us practically? Oh man. I I mean I would go through I mean, for for the wealthy I would go through and figure out. I mean seriously, this is this is a serious vocational and apostolic question like what's your apostolate in life? Mm-hmm. And figuring out who you are and what you need. Um mm-hmm. this is a prerequisite to, you know, to the savings account conversation that we'll we'll have next. But you need to figure out who you are and what you're doing and what you're called to do. You won't really know how to spend your money if you if you if you don't. I'd say you know for the major expenditures every year that you have every year, question those. Wonder if you know if I if I bit off more than I can chew. Do we use every room of our house? Or is this completely excessive? Um, you know, do, do my kids really get a better education? Could we educate them at home? Uh, do they really get a better education in private school? Could we educate them at home? You know, some of these, you might answer yes, like I need this big of a house or yes, you know, like, you know, we just, we can't manage to educate all of our kids or whatever, um, or for whatever reason, I'm uncomfortable doing that. I mean, maybe there's some challenge there that, that God's calling you to. Um, I'm just thinking about my next door neighbor over here who has, who, uh, Homeschools are 10 children, all under 18. <laughs> oh, I don't envy that. Um, but I, I think those are some of the places to start considering, like walking through your major expenses and ask, does this actually fortify me as a child of God in my particular place and calling? Or or does this um, mask, you know, whom I, whom I am supposed to be? Yeah. I think... And if you're in charge of marketing, stop marketing. <laughs> Stop using, you know, the temptations of lust and of gluttony right. uh, to to get people to buy. I think that's right. Yeah, no, that's that's definite. I think that my practical recommendation is, I'll just say it to more directed towards the poor, because I think the practical recommendation is for the rich is look at your life and ask if you are a good sign to the poor. Yeah, acknowledge. Like go to confession, acknowledge that you are a sign that will be imitated, mm-hmm. right? And ask whether you're a worthy object of imitation. Yeah. And try to try to be better. I mean, it's not easy. It's not easy for any of us, any 
any father knows this, right? Like, oh shoot, my child's imitating me and I already suck. It's very clear you were supposed to be virtuous before you became a father, but now it's too (laughs) late. So better hurry up. Um, To the poor, it's like, like there's just no pleasure like Jesus. There's no gratification like life with Christ. And this, to my mind, is at least the only effective way out Mm. of addiction um, to an excess of bodily pleasure, Mm -hmm. which, which keeps us down. Um, you need to go back to the wisdom of your mother and father that, or maybe it's your grandparents, maybe your mother and father didn't have that wisdom that just knew that certain things were wrong, right? That it was wrong to just desire, you know, lust of the flesh, eating too much, drinking too much, spending your money on things you don't need, developing addictions because you're anxious. Like, we need to just acknowledge that these things are wrong. They will not satisfy. We need Christ to satisfy us because once we have that satisfaction in him, the peace of Christ, then we don't need to rely on the pleasures of the flesh to to give us that same feeling or at least an imitation of that feeling. I, I think that's fundamental. But the other thing that I think is once we've established that need for Jesus Christ, the other thing is just ask yourself are you powerful? Does your intemperance give you more power or less? Because it seems to me fairly obvious that when we use our capacities, right, by just buying different things in imitation of the wealthy lifestyle that's preached to us, what actually happens is we grow less and less capable of acting, less capable of owning, less capable of being powerful, less capable of fighting, less capable of being um, essentially rising up as a powerful people. And it might seem silly, but I do think that that should motivate us much more than um, the the pleasures of the flesh. It is wanting to actually have the capacity to act and to act well. Um, and that's a capacity that is taken away by, by intemperance. Mm-hmm. Beautiful. So start by closing down your Netflix. (laughs) Anyways, God bless you, all of you. We'll see you next time on Good Money. Bye. Thanks.